and 16th. And if you go online right away, we have a limited number of discount tickets available courtesy of WBAI. Go to give2wbai.org. And you're listening to WBAI in New York. The time now is 5 o'clock. Welcome to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in the city, state, and also national politics, uh, areas that matter to you. I'm Jeff Simmons. And I'm alone today because my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz, is out of town visiting the parents. So as our listeners are aware of, Celeste and I love to talk about politics and policy. And last week, thanks to Celeste, we had on presidential candidate Eric Swalwell. And uh, we're committed to inviting a number of the candidates on to talk about the issues that they care about and that we hope you care about, too. So today's big news here in New York City is that our very own mayor, Bill de Blasio, announced formally that he's going to be running for president or he is running for president, becoming the 24th Democrat to enter the race. He released a three minute campaign video that trumpets the slogan working people first, and it highlights his accomplishments and takes aim at the sitting president, branding Donald Trump a longtime bully. Mayor de Blasio is facing a number of challenges. For one, a later start than the other candidates that announced before him. A number of folks who'd worked with him before in other campaigns who are not at present working with him on this one. And if history is any guide, uh, no sitting mayor has ever been elected to the presidency. So today, in the first half of our show, we're going to be talking, starting off shortly, with someone who knows the mayor extremely well, First Lady Shirlane McRae. The two celebrated their wedding anniversary earlier this week, and our listeners should know that when we first booked Sherlane McRae to be on today, several weeks ago, it was to talk about the weekend of faith that she's launching. So I'm going to spend a few minutes on that as well uh, when she joins us. And afterwards, we're going to talk with Alyssa Katz. She is the deputy editor at the spanking new investigative journalism venture, The City, and a former member of the uh, New York Daily News editorial board. And then we're going to bring you a conversation with the new City University Chancellor, Felix Matos Rodriguez. But first, we're trying to raise $500 today. If you can pledge, if you listeners like our show, uh, please pledge $50 to support commercial-free WBAI, and we'll send you a special gift. It is I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, a book by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland. They're the hosts of the popular podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Beth and Sarah joined us right here uh, on WBAI a few weeks ago, and the book talks about how you can really communicate even when you disagree, particularly during this campaign climate. It's a great read. We'd like to send you a copy. We would really at BAI appreciate a gift of $50, and all you need to do is call 516-620-3602 right now and help us to keep bringing you real talk about real politics every day here on Driving Forces. Again, that number is 516-620-3602. So as I mentioned, my first guest today is the First Lady of New York City. She's recognized as a champion of mental health reform 
and she was dubbed one of Time Magazine's 50 Most Influential People in Healthcare for 2018. She is the driving force behind the city's Thrive NYC initiative, and she spearheads the city's Thrive Coalition with more than 200 mayors and other officials from across the country, and she chairs the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City. It's a pleasure to have her join us today for her first interview since this morning's announcement. Welcome to Driving Forces. Hello, Jeff. How are you? It's wonderful to reconnect, and it was great to see you at the Inner Circle several weeks ago. Yes, yes. um, Up until then, it's been quite a while (laughs) since I've seen you last. So I I must start with the question of the day. Anything new going on in your life today? (laughs) You're very funny. Um, Yes, we have a weekend of fake um, that we are uh, launching this evening, actually in just an hour or two, uh, in the Bronx. We're going to be gathering uh, to break fast before prayers on St. Raymond Avenue. Uh, the, the Weekend of Faith is um, this is our fourth one, uh, and we expect a huge attendance because word spreads. And uh, faith leaders have been some of our strongest allies in the Thrive effort. And, so, and you mentioned this is the fourth annual. What are some of the events that take place? Well, what happens is uh, faith leaders all over the city and now all over the country gather together um, with their congregation and devote part of their services to talking about mental health. Um, that is to raise awareness, um, to direct people to services within their communities, uh, services and resources, um, but most importantly to, to um, help get rid of the stigma. In so many of our communities, the stigma is so great that people are reluctant to even talk about mental illness or substance misuse. Um, when, the, when the clergy leader, when the faith leader um, makes it a, a centerpiece of their, of their service and says, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about this, it, it goes a long way to dispel the myths and the misconceptions that people have. Because our faith leaders are, are trusted leaders in the community. They're first responders. They often know the, the people um, in their congregations um, from birth. Uh, and they, they know their families. They see them every week. And so it goes a long way to help dispel the stigma that exists. We want people to, we want people to talk about mental health. We want people to know that more about mental illnesses. Uh, we want to this this year. We're focusing on stress and depression because we want people to know that that if they act early, um, they can actually feel a lot better faster. And as I think of the, about the iftar, I mean, New York City is home to thousands, tens of thousands of Muslims with diverse backgrounds, people of every faith. But in this country. We've been witnessing increased incidents of hate and negative rhetoric surrounding people of faith. What's the message you want to send by hosting this event? Well, I want to, well, first of all, I want people to know that, that you know, these, we, we, we can't run away, um, that we need each other, that these spaces, which are supposed to be safe spaces, um, you know, it is just, it's so awful that, that um, we've had so many spaces be violated. But um, we can't run away because that is what um, those who would persecute uh, Muslims want want to happen. Uh, as humans, we need 
we need connection. We need connection with each other. We need to be able to support one another. Uh, and and so it is not not a good idea for us to, not, and not a good time for us to, uh, for people to isolate themselves. So uh, I want to get to, obviously, the news of the day. Uh, earlier this morning, it became formal that uh, the mayor has announced that he is running for president. What are the factors that played into the decision to run? Well, I, Jeff, you know, people all over this country are, are suffering. There's a lot of pain. Um, there has been a uh, misdirection of, of resources um, to the 1%. And, and Bill and I really want to put working families, working people first. And, and you probably heard him say, there's plenty of money in the world, in the, in the country, uh, is just in the wrong hands. And I, I certainly believe that. Uh, you know, we had an expression in my household growing up that there's more than enough for everyone. Um, some people just want more than their share. So we're going to be traveling around America, talking with people, listening to them, engaging in conversations to learn more about about what what it is they're looking for in a in a leader. Just I would say, just as uh, just as I did with slides uh, before slide launch, we took 11 months just to talk with people, listen to them, ask them what was missing, what their experiences were with mental health services. Um, I, I'm really going to be continuing the work that, that I've been doing. So to the naysayers, to those who've been focused on any uh, issues or setbacks in the administration, what do you want to say about how the mayor's message, in your view, is going to resonate across the country? Well, I can tell you that so far, the mayor's message resonates very well. Uh, it is not, it will not be our first trip to Iowa or South Carolina. And um, people are, again, I tell you, people are in pain. Uh, we, are, we are very lucky in New York City in many ways. Uh, we have not had funding and services cut um, from health care the way other states and cities have. And so they're very impressed with what we are doing. And when we tell them that we have, you know, uh, 70,000 four-year-olds enrolled in, in uh, pre-kindergarten, that's very impressive. Uh, that, that number, 70,000, is the size of the entire school district in Boston. Uh, people want these, these programs. People want these, um, this kind of support. It's very tough out there for even for, for working families, for two-income families, people working um, multiple jobs just to pay the rent and put food on the table and be able to care for their children, uh, it, it's very rough. And so uh, Bill's message is, is very welcome. And, and, and what we're saying about uh, mental health is very welcome, too. Uh, and. and Go ahead. Oh, and so I noticed also in the commercial, so the, you know, the mayor took immediate aim at the president, calling him a bully, a longtime bully. The president you know, responded in typical tweet fashion, calling the mayor a joke. What do you want to have to say about that? What's your response to the way the president responded? I, I don't have a response. Um, it's not where I like to put my time and energy. I'm um, very focused on the work and about putting forth a, a positive message. 
maybe maybe you can get Bill on the show. <laughs> he might have something to say for you. <laughs> so. So another thing, you know, as someone who is incredibly impressed with the campaign spot uh, involving your son uh, earlier, Dante, do you think we're going to be seeing Dante, who graduates this coming Monday from Yale? Congratulations. Uh, Thank do, you. Do you think Thank we you. will? Will we see him? Will we see him? He will now have some time to uh, be on the campaign or be in a campaign spot. You know, I, I just don't know. Um, I no longer speak for our, our young people. They, you know, they're young adults now starting <laughs> their lives. And, um, of course, they are supportive. But I just, I can't, I really can't say. So uh, in the campaign spot, you do talk about mental health. Uh, I'm expecting or assuming that this is going to be a key part of what you'll be talking about across the country. Can you just uh, talk a little about that and about what you see as the the major successes of Thrive NYC? Well, Jeff, you know, we have never had a behavioral health system in this country. And that is really appalling, given what we know about behavioral health. Uh, we have uh, rising suicide rates. We have, uh, we're in the middle of an opioid epidemic. We have hospital emergency departments that have, that are inundated with alcohol-related visits. I can tell you one year in New York City alone, we had 116,000 alcohol-related visits, um, and no one is really talking about this. No one is connecting the dots between all the ways that, that mental illness and substance misuse affect our children, affect uh, adults in the workplace, and in their relationship, this is really just, I'm, I'm aghast. And there is so much that we can do. With Thrive, we are, we are reaching thousands and thousands of people with a central point of access. NYC Well um, has received um, roughly half a million, more than half a million calls, texts, chats. Uh, we, we know that people are really hungry for, for support. And, and that is why we are putting such an emphasis also on place-based services. So um, we have been working with our community-based organizations um, and our senior centers to make sure that they are expanding the services that they already provide, making sure their staff gets trained uh, in mental health first aid and other kinds of uh, uh, programs that will help them relate to people who are, are suffering. Also, um, uh, making sure there are more counselors available in, in senior centers and in uh, community-based organizations and neighborhoods that are underserved. So we've got uh, just about two minutes left, and uh, I want to just come back to the campaign for a second because mental health seems like it will be a key issue. And uh, in the campaign spot, I noted that there were certain accomplishments that the mayor had focused on. What do you think is going to, to distinguish his campaign, your campaign, um, you know, and set you apart from the other almost two dozen candidates uh, in this race? Well. I think our, the focus, uh, working families, working people, um, is, is an important focus and something that I really haven't heard the same way from 
from other candidates. I also believe that that, that Bill has executive experience, um, certainly uh, as a leader of the, the, one of the largest cities in the country, um, and with so many accomplishments under his belt, he is very well qualified, um, not only to talk about what we can do for the rest of the country, but actually implement. So you take a program like Prepay for All, like, this is something that can happen everywhere. Guaranteed health care for all. That can also happen everywhere. Uh, and and it is New York City is now the, you know, the safest big city in the country. Uh, we know a thing or two about how to do this work. We know about neighborhood policing. Um, this is not um, something that is theoretical for, for us. So I think that you can look to hear much more of that in the coming months um, because we do have we do have a message to share with other people. And, and let me tell you, Jeff, people are listening. So this is a big undertaking. If you think about the next year, year and a half, uh, as we wrap up, what are the emotions you're going through on a day like today when you start to look at the next, you know, the next year? Well, you know, I think that that's... Um, that's not the right approach to, to look at the next year. I think, you know, what do they say? That the um, I can't remember the expression, but you can only take one step at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, I take one day at a time. Uh, otherwise, it, it does uh, become very overwhelming. <laughs> so the, that's, that's how you do a journey. You know, you take one step at a time. So as we wrap up, uh, how can people learn more about your work and follow you and, and, and you know, I'll say the campaign, but also the work uh, that you're doing in the city? Well, I, I, I hope people will participate in the Weekend of Faith. It, it runs uh, from uh, today, May 16th through 19th, and anyone can participate. No ma- it doesn't matter what, um, uh, what their faith is, and if they belong to a community center, they can participate that way. Uh, there's a phone number they can call to get a toolkit. Uh, we want to make sure that people have guidance um, with these conversations. The phone number is 212-748-0336. Again, the number is 212-748-0336. So if you call that number, you can get a toolkit and, and participate. With your house of worship or with your community center in our uh, weekend of faith on mental health. I also have um, uh, a Twitter handle at NYC First Lady. That's at NYC First Lady. Please follow me. (laughs) (laughs) Madam First Lady. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And and if people want to learn more about Thrive, they can go to thriveNYC.cityofnewyork. Madam First Lady Shirlane McRae, thank you for joining me, Jeff Simmons, here on WBAI. Thank you, Jeff. It's been nice talking with you. Same here. So for our listeners, in a few moments, we're going to bring on a a guest to talk about the mayor's campaign. But I do want to remind you that it is the season for fundraising because as uh, my predecessor uh, in the show that preceded me today, John Kane, talked about, we also have the More Than Mike's campaign. I hope you're listening to John Kane as well, by the way, uh, because his show is fantastic. Uh, But we have the More Than Mike's campaign so we could build out our studio right down the hall. And I knew we were getting close to that $10,000 goal. And it would be wonderful if you're 
you're able to just even call 516-620-3602 to contribute, or you can go online to give to wbai.org. Again, that's give to wbai.org. And if you're walking around and you're listening to us because we do stream at wbai.org, you can then just punch it on your smartphone, text to text WBAI to 41444 and make a contribution. And as I mentioned at the outset of the show, if you want to receive a gift, such as the book, I Think You're Wrong But I'm Listening, you can pledge $50 to support our commercial-free operation, and you could get this book written by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart-Holland. They're the hosts of the popular podcast, Pantsuit Politics. So we just wrapped up a few minutes ago talking with First Lady Sherlane McRae, and I thought it would be good to then bring on another guest who can ta- who has followed the mayor's campaign, followed this, at, or rather the administration, soon the campaign, uh, Alyssa Katz. She's the deputy editor at The City, which is a new journalism platform that recently launched just a month ago. She's a former member of the New York Daily News editorial board. Alyssa, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much. So looking back at the, you know, the last, I'll say, 24 hours because it started to leak out late afternoon yesterday, what do you think about the rollout and how this took place? Well, I mean, in many ways, uh, Mayor de Blasio followed the usual playbook, right? He started with a video uh, posted to YouTube early in the morning describing who he is, what he's all about, and, and, and what his message is. Um, then went on a uh, national TV show, went on Good Morning America with First Lady Shirley McRae, who you just had on. Um, and, uh, you know, the message was a little incongruous with the general tone of GMA, but, uh, you know, they did the interview and really laid out the signature message of, a, you know, that there's plenty of money in the world, there's plenty of money in this country, it's just in the wrong hands. What would you say are some of the challenges ahead for the mayor? Wow. Well, there there are many, right? I mean, he's, of course, entering a field now that already has 22 uh, other candidates uh, for the Democratic nomination uh, for president. Um, and he's starting, you know, late in the game with uh, little fundraising and uh, also very low poll numbers, which matters because in order to get on the stage for the Democratic uh, Party primary debates, um, you need to have some uh, reasonably high standing on, on both those fronts. So not that he can't do it. He's a very experienced political hand and, and has networks, but still it's a crowded field, and he's going to have to um, get through that. The other uh, obstacle is just that his, um, and, and talking about polling, it's not just the number that the overall uh, preference uh, of voters for him you know, ranks very low uh, in such a crowded field, but also that his favorability ratings are quite negative compared to other candidates that, you know, well, some people like him okay, a lot of people don't, and um, the number of people who don't really um, is, is really higher for him compared to the number of people who do support him than any other candidate in that field. So he's going to have to you know, move the needle on, on both of those numbers. Do you consider him an underdog at this point? Well, it's an interesting question. I mean, of course, given everything I just said, he's, he's certainly an underdog on any of those counts. And he, he kind of relishes talking about how he has been viewed as an underdog before, I think most notably in the 2013 mayoral yeah, contest yeah. that he ultimately won. And I think that some of the ways in which he won in 2013 are kind of instructive to how he might advance himself in the Democratic field, even if he doesn't win. 
Um, and you know, I, I think there's a there's a narrative out there, and I heard some of it on social media in the past 24 hours of just um, you know that well, of course he won in 2013 because everyone around him collapsed. You know that uh, Anthony Weiner imploded, and this, and the, you, you go through each of the candidates, and that is true. But we forget for one thing that. One reason that Christine Quinn uh, plummeted in the polls after being the presumptive favorite um, at, at that point was that she started being the subject of attack ads um, that were funded in part by, um, by anti-horse carriage advocates, mm, right, who had right. some money. But then we forget, I think, it's easy to forget that the other big source of funding for those attack ads is actually the union run by Mayor de Blasio's cousin. Uh, and that that was the source of the funding. It was kind of was under the radar because it was the money came in late and kind of evaded the campaign finance radar. But but there it was, and I think that speaks to the kind of very shrewd political strategist that Bill de Blasio is. And, and you know that was his career before he was mayor and public advocate and and city council member. Um, and and you, you know, it's, it's easy to forget that and, and a mistake to forget that too. So one of your colleagues, uh, Yoav Gonin, had uh, posted a piece uh, earlier uh, uh, this week. I think it might have been yesterday or the day before about uh, Bill de Blasio's New York City record. And it uh, kind of assesses a number of his signature issues and where he is very strong at. Can you talk a little about some of the successes that you think he's going to continue to focus on that will resonate across the country? Sure, and just to give credit where it's due, it was actually our uh, senior, most of our senior reporting staff. So it was at, this is at the city.nyc. So it was Yoav Gonin, Rosa Goldenson, Ruvain Blau, Greg B. Smith, and Jose Martinez. <laughs> um, and so we, we have, you know, basically how almost half our uh, reporting staff really go over de Blasio's record. And I want to be clear, what we went over was really the goals that he had set for himself, right? So he went out there and said, okay, I'm going to get universal pre-K and I'm going to um, get health care for all, um, make this the safest big city in America, and so forth. And so he had kind of set up slogans and goals on affordable housing, uh, improving police community relations, and so on. Um, and measured on, on his own yardstick, you know, we found that on, on the whole, you know, in a lot of ways he did very well. In other ways, especially on police community relations, clearly has enormous challenges, right, and, and big problems in part because he refuses to stand up to the NYPD because of just the uh, consequences that he saw um, when he attempted to, um, you know, really get get more demanding on how they run things uh, following the Eric Garner killing. Um, so, you know, we could go through each issue. It's better just to go to the city.nyc and read, read through um, <laughs> the very detailed run-through. But I think I, I want to add an important um, footnote to, to what I, you know, I'm just reviewing, which is that while he, on his own programs that are kind of the signature accomplishments that he's looking to run on now, I think the mayor has done well enough in delivering on them because these were his programs, his initiatives, sort of what his mayoralty would live or die by. Um, I think part of the, the paradox that is Bill de Blasio is that he, in meanwhile, uh, kind of uh, tragically neglected these legacy institutions from the New Deal and Great Society that he said were his inspiration for all his new initiatives. It kind of took for granted that, for instance, the New York City Housing Authority, the subways, the libraries, um, that you know, in, in uh, you know, and in, in public hospitals, like 
all these institutions have really wanted for investments of resources and political attention that he's now belatedly giving because he's been forced to by legal authorities in the case of NYCHA, by the subway breakdowns in the case of uh, the MTA, and so on, and the public hospitals because he, he can't keep shoveling money into them. Um, but, but really, so he's turning them around now. In fact, uh, um, he is, his health care for all program is, in fact, basically a marketing program to get New Yorkers to use the public hospitals, which is great. But he spent five years initially really figuring the public hospitals would take care of themselves when people at the system who paid attention to its budget problems recognized that it was in desperate shape, and, and he didn't do anything about it or anything much about it. Um, so it's a mixed record in that sense. His own attention to uh, his own shiny objects, right, the new programs that he wanted to tout, um, kind of starved attention and resources from the existing programs, and that's a problem the city is still very much dealing with. So I gather, I mean, everyone's focused on the uh, one of the most recent Quinnipiac polls that uh, had indicated that 76% of registered uh, voters thought he should not run for president. Uh, you know, what are your expectations as he starts to crisscross across the country? Are you you thinking that at home we're going to be seeing more people grumbling and his rating, you know, poll numbers are going to go down here? Or do you think that when they see how he's performing across the country uh, with more attention, there that that might sway more people to be supportive? Yeah, I've been wondering about that. And just to make clear, as you've implied, the 76% of voters who didn't want him to run are New York City voters. And yes. we are unusually cantankerous and, <laughs> and obviously know Bill de Blasio very well. No, I, I do think that if his um, message um, and, and campaigning do get traction across the country, that New Yorkers might be a little bit more reflective. Although I think, you know, just as a basic matter of principle, that you know, we as a city are entitled to the full services and attention of the mayor that we elected and paid. So no matter how well he does, and even if he wins, um, you know, I feel I still feel like the de deprivation of a public official services, right? Like he doesn't get to move to a part-time salary. We don't get to elect another mayor. Um, you know, I think that is going to sting regardless. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if America gives us a different perspective at home. It could certainly happen. So, Alyssa, as I wrap up, the toughest question you're going to get, how can people follow you and, and learn more <laughs> about the city? Well, great. And the city is, to be clear, the nonprofit news site where I'm the deputy editor, not the city of New York. And uh, you can find us at thecity.nyc. It is all free, although, of course, like WBAI, we appreciate donations from our audience. Um, thank you so much. And the article I was referring to, when you go on to the city.nyc, it is called Progressive Promises, Bill de Blasio's New York City Record. I just want to point that out. I'll post the link on our Driving Forces Facebook page. Alyssa Katz, thank you so much for joining me here on WBAI. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. So you are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI New York, 99.5 uh, FM, also streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons. My amazing co-host, Celeste Katz, is off today. We'll be back definitely next week. Anxious to have her back here in the studio. Uh, we are also, as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, we are in Fundraising Drive. If you enjoy our show, uh, whether you're commuting and you're listening to us in the car or you're at home or you're even in the office and have WBA on, we'd love for you to show your support because if you want 
to us to continue to have the, uh, you know, the guests that everyone's talking about on our show. Well, we're going to keep pursuing them. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we had Eric Swalwell, presidential candidate last week. We are pursuing other presidential candidates as well, including Bernie Sanders, to see if we can get him on the show, because we know you would like to hear that. But we're just trying to raise $500 today. And if you're able during this show, and if you're able to pledge $50 by calling 516-620-3602, or if you can't do $50, that's fine. Any amount except for zero counts. Any amount really would count. You can pledge at 516-620-3602 or go online to give to WBAI.org. That's give the number to WBAI.org or go in your smartphone and text WBAI to 41444. And also, if you're looking to get a gift when you donate, we also have this book that we uh, called I Think You're Wrong But I'm Listening by Beth Silvers and Sarah Stewart Holland. They are the hosts of the popular podcast uh, Pantsuit Politics. And uh, we had them on, Celeste and I had them on a few weeks ago. And basically during this polarizing political climate, uh, uh, you know, when often people uh, who disagree can't do it in a very uh, calm way, they kind of help you navigate, the reader navigate, how to uh, get through these difficult conversations. It is a great read, and we'd love to send you a copy to thank you for your gift of $50. So you just have to call 516-620-3602. Say you're making the gift in uh, in recognition of driving forces. If you want to be acknowledged on the air, definitely say that too, because if James gets words, right, James? He'll... Yeah. He'll say something? Absolutely. be more than happy to do that. <laughs> Thank you so much. So just call 516-620-3602. So as I mentioned at the outset of the show, another guest that I have wanted to talk with is the new City University of New York Chancellor, Felix Matos Rodriguez. He earlier this month took the reins of the CUNY system. And CUNY, as many of you probably know, is the nation's largest urban public university. It was founded in 1847 and serves more than 275,000 degree-seeking students, and it's comprised of 25 different institutions. We are honored to have him on the show with only a few weeks after he began. Chancellor, welcome to Driving Forces. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Thank you for having me in the program. It's, it's an honor to be with you, and this is my, my second week in the job. Oh, it's your second week. And, you know, I should clarify, because from something I read, as much as you are wearing this hat, you were also just staying on a little bit longer as the president of Queens College for a specific reason. And can you tell our listeners why? Oh, thank, thank you so much. Yes, I was so happy that our board chair, Bill Thompson, allowed me to. Uh, when they offered the job, I said the one thing that I want to do is I want to be there at my commencement for my students at Queens of the class of 2019, and the chair was very gracious and then allowed me to do this. So I'm actually, the students call me the chancellor because I'm <laughs> chancellor and president for a month, and those students will have a historic diploma the first time that someone gets the same signature twice in the same city university diploma. So it'd be a collector's item. So I, I'm familiar with your background. I live in Queens. Uh, I believe I interviewed you also years ago for the Hispanic Outlook and Higher Education. So I'm familiar, yes, with you your, I'm familiar with your background. Can you give our listeners first some insight into your background and your career? Well, thank you. Uh, I am born and raised in, in Puerto Rico. I came to the U.S. to uh, pursue my educational dreams. Uh, I'm a historian, so I taught uh, history of uh, Latin America and the Caribbean and, and Latinos in the U.S. 
came to Hunter College about 20 years ago, uh, really inspired by the mission of the City University of New York. So I came as a faculty member, directed the Center for Puerto Rican Studies um, back then, served four years as advisor and commissioner in the government of Puerto Rico, social services, and then came back to be the president for five years at Austos Community College in the South Bronx, uh, and then the last five years at, at Queens. So uh, a career combining um, academia and higher education, public service, and um, a, very, a very blessed man. And you're not the first in your family to pursue education, correct? Uh, my grandmother was a, uh, she taught English in the public schools in Puerto Rico, so she was a school teacher uh, for many years. My dad um, was an engineer, and my mother was studying to be a teacher. Then I was born, and plans were changed. So uh, you're the first person of color to lead CUNY in its 172 years, and I had read that the uh, head of the Hispanic Association of Colleges and Universities, Haku, had said your naming had uh, national implications. How so? I think that, that public institutions... Uh, need to be responding to the communities that they serve. And uh, one of the ways in which you do that is really trying to mirror somewhat the communities that you serve. And in, in the city of New York, that, that speaks to our great, uh, to our great diversity. So um, I think that this is a story that celebrates the investments that uh, CUNY has made over the years in having uh, larger numbers of faculty of, of, of color. I mean, I, be, I came to the system as a faculty member, as I mentioned before. And, um, and again, the, the important thing about being a historic first is making sure that uh, you open the doors for others uh, that will come after you. So uh, that's how I envision this, um, this, this great honor that has been bestowed upon me. What impact, I mean, what impact do you personally like, hope that your presence as chancellor has on the composition of faculty and the student body? I mean, you know, in, in all places, right, we, we like to see uh, people like us, and, and, and that allows us to, to, to think that we can be in, in that position, that we can achieve that. So that, that is something that I have experienced even as a faculty member, that the students will tell you. It's good to see somebody that, that looks like us, that has our story, that shares our background. Um, and and that, so that's very important in, 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 in higher education in, in the universities. Um, and, uh, and it speaks to access and inclusion, which is something which is tied to the DNA of the city university since its origins as the free academy. So I, I, I am very honored and, and um, probably took a little longer than it should have. Uh, but um, I think it, it, it marks a, a point of moving forward, and, and again, it's entirely consistent with the history of our, of our great university. So recently here on the show, we had on a number of the uh, candidates for district attorney in Queens. And one of the questions that I really wanted to ask each one that I found insightful was about the culture that they would want their administration to be known for. So as you uh, in this new role, what do you want the culture to be like in, you know, in your in the community administ CUNY administration? Well, thank you for that. That's a great question. And um I think that you want a, to send a message that that we care, right? And 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 that might sound simple, but when when you care, you're efficient uh, with the resources that you have, and you make sure that that you deliver 
the services and, and the education in this case that, that, that we promise our students. You know, when, when, when you care, uh, you think about individuals as a whole, and that we need to think about our students, um, you know, as students, uh, as family members, as parents in the case uh, that, that they might be. Um, and, and so for me, that would be a really, really important sense that, that we really care about our students, we care about our faculty and our staff, we care about the communities where we are anchor institutions and depend on us for so many things, workforce development, cultural life. Um, and, and I think that if we, if we do that, um, we'll be very successful in being um, uh, excellent and, and efficient. So one thing I always find amusing is I used to be an education reporter at a number of different publications, and people would assume that, oh, it's you're nearing the end of the academic year. Wow, you're going to have it easy. Schools are shut down. So, But what I learned as an education reporter is so much happens preparing for that next academic year. So we're getting to the point where, like, you've probably already been planning a lot for this next academic year and even the summer session. What are some of your top priorities? Well, I, th I think one of the key things, even for someone like me who's been part of the system uh, and has been in three other campuses, is not to assume that because I've been here, uh, I'm familiar with all the complexity. You you mentioned uh, the vastness of our of our system when you know in, in your opening piece. So I'm going to spend some time um, listening to to the colleges, you know, in in, in the campuses and our stakeholders. Um, there are a couple of um, I think um, you know important things that we're going to be able to um, uh, uh, to to advance, and and um, and you know I, I think one area, for example, where we have been making some progress, but we have a lot of additional work to do is career engagement, in terms of making sure that our students, from the moment that they come to our campus, begin to think about what happens next, and we start creating internships uh, opportunities and service learning. We know that when students have paid internships, they, they, they get a job faster when they graduate and they have higher incomes uh, you know, in that first uh, job, which is important for your salary afterwards. So that's something that I've already been out in my two weeks talking to, um, to the partnership for New York City uh, for, um, with some other uh, funders uh, about this. So this is, I think, something where we have um, done some good things, but we can do uh, a lot more on behalf of our students. What are some of the, I mean, it's been reported a number uh, in a number of periodicals about some of the challenges. What would you say are some of the key challenges that CUNY faces that you want to tackle uh, head on? Or, you know, if some, I'm sure some are going to take, uh, you know, a while, but what are some of the challenges that you'd like to first start to address? Well, I mean, I as I mentioned to you, I think that, that uh, if you care about student success, that whole area of career engagement uh, is something that we need to do uh, a little bit better as, as a university. We are a vast system, and I think another challenge that we have is really finding ways to be less bureaucratic in the way that we approach our work, uh, let it be admitting students, doing our day-to-day -day business, the way that we also work with each other as, as colleagues. I think there's a lot of work that we need to be, that we can do in that area, which would A, create more efficient uh, services to, to our students and stakeholders, but also we we'll save some dollars that we could reinvest in, um, in, in our students. There's, I mean, we are a vast system, 
and we've done, we're unique in that you can go from getting, you know, your GED all the way to a professional program in, in our system. We could probably do a lot better also in some of the articulation, making sure that it was easier to move from one place to the next. So I think those are areas that if we, if we make some headway, we'll be really having a significant impact on people's lives and um, achieve higher student success. And, and then also maybe even save some dollars that we can reinvest back in, uh, in our campuses. So you've been given credit for uh, addressing, for uh, making strides in combating dropout rates uh, at Ostos and uh, Queens College. What would you say is key, uh, you know, key to success to improving the dropout rates to keeping students in school? Well, one thing is that was a team effort, right? Uh, it, it happens to be my bio, but it's a team effort. I want to accentuate this. You don't have any large effective change if you don't work as a team. But, you know, some of those things, for example, we, we learn from our great accelerated um, um, uh, program in, in um, that, you know, in, in ASAP, uh, that one of the key things, and that was a program that has doubled the graduation rates for community college students, that one key element in that uh, program was intrusive advisement. So at Austos, for example, uh, we got additional dollars and we used them to hire a lot more advisors. So there was somebody there that from the moment that Jeff came to the campus, uh, you had one person that, you know, took care of you. And uh, those, are, those are sometimes small things that make the difference in making sure that the students, you know, to graduate the students, they need to be retained. So we need people that understand what our students are going through and can provide professional, academic, personal advice to, to get them to succeed. So advising is, is a key part of any student success agenda. And I, and I would imagine that one of your goals is also to ensure that the, the CUNY credential connects with a successful career. How do you make that happen? Well, I mean, first is is you need to have the different stakeholders, uh, and in this I mean, for example, um, sectors of industry, when you're talking about programs that might be um, of a more professional nature, if you wish, right, that they need to be at the table uh, giving us feedback on how the field is changing and what do they need when, when, when they enter. We also know that employers tell us that they want them with practical skills, but they want people who are good critical thinkers, right? So we also need to continue to do well on things that are basics like writing and, and public speaking and, uh, and working in teams, right? Uh, things that don't belong to any major, uh, but you're going to face, you're going to need in any job that, 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 you, that you go to. And I think moving forward, um, we know that the economy of the future is going to be one in which we're going to have to reinvent ourselves periodically. So I think that we need to instill in our students the DNA of that desire of, uh, you know, continuous learning, that whatever field you take, journalism, health, law, uh, social work, teaching, that the future is going to demand that you at some point go back for additional schooling, credentials, uh, certificates, because if not, you're not going to be able to be effective and keep your job. And we need to make sure our students leave our programs with that DNA of knowing that we've done well for what they came for, but uh, that they can come back for more, hopefully to our campuses, uh, for that next level of training that they might need. 
So as we wrap up, how can people learn more about you? And uh, if they're a student interested in uh, enrolling in CUNY, you know, uh, sell them on a CUNY education right now. Tell them why oh it's goodness. valuable uh, to them. E e easy to go through our, our main website, uh, you know, www.cuny.edu, and you can access all our 25 campuses. So if you're interested in professional programs, you know, you want to get uh, a degree in public health, journalism, medical school, law school, uh, labor studies, the graduate center, we have that. Two-year colleges uh, for the students, you know, coming maybe out of high school for adults. Uh, who might have some credentials and want to come back. Our uh, School of Professional Studies is very flexible. So we have excellent programs uh, for students of all ages in all the five boroughs and, and beyond. So uh, we, we are a really excellent university at a really, really fair price. Um, and uh, we're the American Dream Machine, and we're proud of it. And one thing as I close, because you mentioned Bill Thompson at the start, I used to work for Bill Thompson, so I'm just warning you that one of the things he had me work on uh, was the 100-day report to have that ready, like 100 days after he took office. So I'm just giving you that heads up. He might put that on you, too. So, so I, I have <laughs> then about, what, 80, 86 days? So thank you so much, <laughs> and, and, and I'm on it. But uh, it, it's a delight to have... Bill, as, as as the chair, we have a great board, and and uh, and I look forward to working with him and the rest of the board moving forward. But thank you for your time, and and uh, thank you for being so supportive of, of our work at CUNY. Chancellor, thank you so much for joining me here on Driving Forces. Take care, Jeff. So we've got James. We've got under ten minutes left. Should we just open it up to see if there are some calls? Why not? Okay. You only live once. The number two call to weigh in about the mayor, about the chancellor, about anything you've heard on the show or whatever else is on your mind, under 10 minutes, 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. And as we wait for anyone to give us a call, I just want to remind you that if you do wish to contribute today, if you enjoy WBAI, any of the wonderful programs, including James's program that I love listening to, um, please donate uh, to 516-620-3602. I believe we even have uh, someone who's calling in already, but again, that number is 516-620-3602, or go online to give to wbai.org. We have a caller on the line. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, welcome to WBAI. Yes, hi. I'm just curious. I know WBI is very progressive and very uh, inquisitive. How come you ask such softball questions to your interviews? Uh, people will come on. Why? Why is it like there's no challenge? Is just there's no. This is like it's just like mainstream radio. I mean, this you, you have people. With, you know, I get. I, I. Well, I don't consider. On. Well, I don't consider it softball. I think it is in my nature not to be combative. Uh, you know, I didn't say combative. I didn't say combative. But you, you don't even challenge him on the um, current uh, community college um, graduation rate after six years. I mean, the community college is a key factor here. I mean, there's, there's actually no. I mean, there's no follow up. I mean, this is. A, I mean, this is WBAI. Come on, this is a joke. You're a joke. Well, no, no, no. It's okay, James. That's okay. You know what? No, you're going to cut me off. You're going to cut me off. 
No, no, I did. Oh no, I didn't, sir. I did oh, not. Yeah, I'm I d- ready. I'm ready. No, no, no. I'm not going to argue with the sir. I'm not going to cut you off. I'm just going to say we have a difference of opinion on that. I really am interested, and I hope a number of our listeners are too, in what our guests have to say. Uh, not and not everything that they say you're going to agree okay, with. So let's take example. Let's take an example of the internship that he brought up. It's nonsense. There are no internships anymore, paid internships. It's very difficult to get. So let me flip it on one thing. What do you think? Let me th- put it, take it away from the interview itself. What do you think? No, what I want to talk about the interview because I called about the interview. He's talking about hiring guidance counselors. No, no, no. I'm asking, I'm asking you uh, for your answer. What do you think the system needs to do then? Well, the system needs to really provide a foundation for entry students in the community college that are coming into um, you know, college without the, the basic skills. And, and that's, it's not that they, they are capable as anyone else, but they just lack the foundation because of the high school, the neighborhood, the stresses, the economic stresses. I mean, that's the problem. It's about the community college. You know, when you have a tree and you have to have a, a foundation, you have to have the appropriate amount of soil and water, you know, that the 20%, 20% uh, graduation rate after six years for the CUNY Community College, that's horrible. That's terrible. What is he talking about um, career-oriented? Uh, people don't know what they want to do when they go for the first or second year, what job they want. He's talking about hiring guidance counselors. Who's going to pay these guidance counselors? It's ridiculous. No, you don't I, follow up with anything. It, you, don't, you don't follow up with any critical... I don't understand this. This is WBAI. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, that's where I disagree with you. And, uh, you know, you we, we've, no been, we've been... You know what? You, we, you know, you had nothing... I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to close the show anyway in a few minutes. I, I honestly gave you a good amount of time to be able to voice your opinion. I thank you for that. Um, uh, you said a 20%. It's not, it's not much different. 22% of students who enter the system graduate in only three years. It's been a lingering problem. I know it's been a problem that uh, the system has faced, uh, and uh, also the public school system as well. Uh, and, you know, uh, has focused on this uh, since I came to New York more than two decades ago. It has been a lingering problem. Uh, and you know what? That is also something I do uh, expect and I do accept, which is if people, if listeners do disagree with anything that we talk about on this show, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to just take phone calls when people are calling to say, oh, you did a great job. That was wonderful. If you disagree with me, I want to hear those voices as well. That is what WBAI is about. That is why I just let that call stay on a little longer so that this gentleman could also be able to voice his opinion that he he did feel strongly about. So as we are getting near to closing the show, I don't see any other calls now, so I just do want to remind our listeners, if you are at home and enjoying or in the car or in your office and you're listening to BAI and you do want to support us, please give a call to uh, to 516-620-3602. Actually, I can't think of many other stations that would allow a, a, a call like that to continue be, uh, just because of the mood of the of the caller. I, I think people but would be very quick to, to I, bail I, out. I, I know, but truthfully, he felt... <laughs> he had good points, though. He felt, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He had uh, He brought up the 
the uh, the rate, the 20%, 22% graduation rate within three years, that it has been a lingering problem. Mm -hmm. And yeah, sometimes I don't get to ask the follow-up questions because I know our time is limited and I really right. want to hit on other things before we go. I also want it to be a little lighter interviews. I'm not doing any gotcha, but yeah, if I do hear something that seems a little off or that I, I have the time to be able to ask a follow-up, I will. Absolutely. I've, so, heard I've heard you do so. <laughs> so, but no, I do. That is why I also let that call stay on longer, because when we have that chance, we do. So, again, as we're getting ready to wrap up, I want to remind our listeners we're on every Thursday, Driving Forces on every Thursday at uh, 5 o'clock. Uh, my lovely colleague Celeste Katz will be back in studio next week. She's off just this week. I want to thank our guests, the First Lady, Sherlane McRae. The CUNY Chancellor, Felix Matos Rodriguez. Also, James, for always being dazzling on the board. And, of course, you, our listeners, for uh, supporting non-commercial, non-corporate radio. Uh, you can go on to wbai.org right now. And you, uh, if you'd like to donate, it is at give to wbai.org. But if you missed any part of this show and you want to upload, uh, you know, we do upload every episode on SoundCloud and iTunes, but you could also go to the WBAI website and you'll be able to download the show as well. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. Have a great day. Coming up at the top of the hour, we have one solid hour with Mr. Paul DiRienzo. The first half hour of that will, of course, be Paul's delivery of the WBAI Evening News. At 7, Joy of Resistance with Fran Luck. Born in Flames is the title of today's version of Joy of Resistance. 8 o'clock, Education at the Crossroads. Don't miss any of that. dancers in New York City's 13th annual dance parade Saturday May 18th it all starts at 1 p.m. on 21st and Broadway with DJs bands floats and 100 unique styles of dance see it all from the grandstand in the Astor place or after at the five stage festival in Tompkins Square Park a movement of the people for more information, go to danceparade.org. Hello, new listener. Actually, maybe you've been listening to WBAI for a while, but you aren't a member. You heard us asking for support, but you thought we were talking to someone else. Well... We're talking to you. Whatever the reason that you didn't give before, now is the time to put aside the excuses and pitch in. What's a comfortable place to start your membership? How about $10 a month? 
maybe more. WBAI counts on listener support. It's our only source of funding. Your gift goes a long way towards bringing you the in-depth news and accurate information that you count on. Call us with your contribution at 516-620-3602 or go to give to WBAI.org. Whatever you can do, please do it now. A sustaining member, $10 a month or more, become a WBAI buddy. Again, that's 516-620-3602. Maybe you're a new listener or you've been listening for years, but you're not a member. Now's the time to act. One of the things that made the black Muslim movement grow was its emphasis upon things African. African blood, African origin, African culture, African ties. And you'd be surprised. We discovered that deep within the subconscious of the black man in this country, he's still more African than he is American. The Black Shining Prince, El Haj Malik El Shabazz, Malcolm X. He tried to give the African American community hope, a heritage. Join WBAI on May 19th from 8 a.m. until midnight as we celebrate the life and legacy of Malcolm X. We'll hear from activists and scholars about his central role in the black liberation movement and in raising political consciousness and his influence over all who fought for equal rights and justice. That's a celebration of 